Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Hello and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. I'm Dan Malthrop, Chief Executive of the City Club and a proud member. It's May 22nd and as we take these first steps towards reopening the economy and reopening the state, your City Club is continuing with our virtual forums and still presenting here our Friday forums from the studios of 90.3 WCPN IdeaStream, our public media partner. We're very grateful for their partnership and support. We all know that the coronavirus pandemic has put an incredible amount of pressure on the American healthcare system. A shortage of both supplies and healthcare workers, sharply declining revenues from the cancellation of elective procedures and surgeries, and massive health insurance losses due to unemployment has shaken the foundation of our country's healthcare infrastructure. As states begin to reopen, and as the number of coronavirus deaths and cases is expected to plateau, we have the chance to examine what's working, but and perhaps more importantly, what's not working when it comes to the ways in which we deliver health care. Today, we'll talk to two local hospital CEOs who are also physicians about the pandemic, the changes their hospitals needed to make, and what the future of health care delivery might entail. Before I introduce our speakers, I'd like to take a quick moment to thank our generous members and sponsors and donors who support these virtual forums. For a full list, please visit us at cityclub.org slash thank you, and you can join them in supporting our work when you make a contribution online or become a member at cityclub.org. Now to our speakers. Dr. Akram Boutros is the president and CEO of the Metro Health System. He arrived at Metro in 2013 and has worked to revitalize that main campus, including the construction of a new hospital buildings, a new hospital building and improving economic conditions in the surrounding West Side neighborhood. Before coming to Cleveland, Dr. Boutros was a consultant for hospital turnarounds and an administrator at St. Francis Hospital in New York. Also with us is Dr. Tom Mahalovic. He's president and CEO of Cleveland Clinic. Tom joined Cleveland Clinic in 2004 as a cardiothoracic surgeon specializing in minimally invasive and robotically assisted cardiac surgeries. Prior to being appointed CEO in 2018, Dr. Mahalovic served as CEO of Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi for three years, overseeing the hospital's strategy and operations as the first U.S. multi-specialty hospital to be replicated outside of North America. Now, as with every City Club forum, you can participate with your questions. Just text them to 330-541-5794, and we will put them into the second half of the program. That's 330-541-5794 to text your questions. And if you're on Twitter, just tweet them at the City Club, and we'll work them in. Doctors Boutros and Mahalovic, we're so glad to have you both back. Welcome to again to the City Club of Cleveland, and thank you both for the vital work you've been leading. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for having us. Dr. Boutros, I want to start with you. Uh, as the, the stay-at-home orders have been lifted and uh, sort of transformed into strong recommendations, businesses are reopening, commercial activity is coming back, uh, your hospital put out a model suggesting, that to, suggesting to us all that we expect a, a, a sharp increase in cases. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So, <clears throat> you know, as uh, when I was uh, with you in early March uh, during the first uh, City Club interview about coronavirus. I said the curse of public health is that if you do your job well and people uh, and people don't get sick or die, 
in great numbers. Uh, some people are going to think uh, uh, you are, um, you know, just overreacting. Um, uh, Ohio did a tremendous uh, uh, job. Uh, we um, responded in a very responsible way, and we crushed the curve. As a result, what initially was expected to be uh, 60,000 cases uh, came down to 10,000 cases a day to uh, 2,000 cases. And, and now we're hovering around uh, 500 to uh, 700 new uh, cases. Okay. As more people interact, we're going to see, uh, see that number increase. Could be to 900 to 1,500, but it will come back down again um, uh, in our model. Dr. Mihalovic, as cases are almost guaranteed to increase um, given the reopening of the economy, what's different at the Cleveland Clinic today than the situation three months ago when you were anticipating the first surge? Well, a lot has changed over the past uh, several months. I think first and foremost, the public awareness about the disease has changed tremendously. Uh, the information that we have gathered, new knowledge, uh, I think that uh, all of you, our listeners today uh, have a very good understanding of the pandemic, but they also do understand how to behave in, uh, in a new environment the um, uh, social distancing, cough hygiene, um, the cough etiquette, uh, and uh, uh, sanitary measures have really, I believe, that are going to significantly improve the safety of uh, work environments and the overall safety environment out there in our communities. On the hospital front, a lot has changed. Over the last three months, uh, we have jointly worked to ramp up our capacity to take care of COVID patients. Fortunately for us here in Ohio, we have not seen a large wave that our colleagues in uh, New York and Detroit have experienced. But also the hospital environments has changed uh, uh, in very many ways. We are now screening uh, all of our visitors and employees uh, through temperature screenings and the entry points to the hospital. Uh, all of our employees, our caregivers uh, wear masks in the hospital environment. We strongly encourage uh, visitors and patients to do the same. Social distancing is prevalent and our ability to test uh, has uh, increased uh, exponentially from the beginning of pandemic. And through those measures, we have been able to create a safe environment for care. It is really important to emphasize that the hospital is a safe environment for care. And in the case of Cleveland Clinic, fewer than 1% of our caregivers have uh, shown signs of infection. We have no evidence that any of them has uh, become infected during work, most likely gotten infected in their own environments. And currently, out of 60,000 caregivers, only five of them are hospitalized and being treated for COVID infection. Dr. Mihaljevic, you said that we didn't get the wave that Detroit, that Detroit encountered. Apart from luck, why is that? Uh, I think the early recognition of the importance of public safety measures by our government was a decisive step. Uh, I would like to think that the, uh, also the coordination, uh, unprecedented collaboration and coordination among healthcare providers and healthcare providers in the government uh, has resulted in a really exceptional outcome for the state of Ohio. Dr. Yeah, Butros, Dr. Dr. Butros, go I, ahead. I wanna, yeah, I want to add two things. One, one is that 
if you look at the difference between uh, Michigan and Ohio, one critical uh, issue will be um, uh, uh, the the election day, uh, where where Ohio didn't have the uh, had postponed it and Michigan did not. That contact of that number of people is going to make a uh, is going to demonstrate that it is the single biggest uh, uh, change uh, between Ohio and Michigan. The second thing I would say is that regarding safety in hospitals, as Dr. Mahalovgo was saying, you know, safety is our priority every day, but because of the additional measures he described, our facilities have never been safer. So, so I would say is that hospital facilities today are safer than they were before the uh, pandemic. I know that uh, part of the reason that that message is so important to both of you and for for both of you to get out to the community is because so many people have delayed not only elective procedures, but also necessary, medically necessary health care because of fear of COVID and that going to the hospital would put them at risk. Do you want to talk a little bit about the dangers that uh, of delaying necessary medical care? Dr. Boutros? I, well, I would say is that you know when we initially told people to um, limit their uh, to limit their contact with the healthcare system, hospitals, and and emergency room and the, and the like, because we wanted to limit unnecessary exposure for vulnerable patients and healthcare workers, and and it, that absolutely has worked. But now, um, uh, Epic Corporation, which has the largest number of electronic medical record, has just shown data that. Uh, for over 3 million uh, uh, patients that we've seen an abrupt drop uh, between 86 and 94% in preventive cancer screenings for cervical cancer, colon cancer, and breast cancer compared to prior years. Emergency room and hospital admissions for heart attacks have uh, decreased by 45%, um, strokes by 38%, and childhood immunizations are also decreased by 44%. Um, so for me, we can't neglect the proven medical interventions or preventive care. Um, uh, we're, I am very concerned, as sure as, I'm sure as Dr. Mahalovic is, that we're likely to have a far worse secondary health crisis due to delays um, uh, than, than the coronavirus spread may. Uh, may have an impact on us. Dr. Akinboutros is CEO of the Metro Health System, also with us here at the City Club Friday Forum, Dr. Tom Mahalovic. Dr. Mahalovic, with respect to elective procedures and and other non-COVID-related medical care, um, that's where hospitals like the Cleveland Clinic make a lot of the money that supports the overall operations. Um, this is a national story that healthcare systems are finding their the revenue that they've relied on to operate has decreased significantly. How much of a problem is this for the future of healthcare? It is a, a tremendous problem for the future of healthcare because uh, the financial impact of uh, on healthcare has been uh, uh, tremendous. Uh, 1.2 million healthcare workers lost their jobs in the midst of the largest healthcare crisis in, uh, in US history, which is a paradox of, paradox of its own. Uh, at the time when uh, our communities uh, need our, our help and support more than ever, very many hospitals, all hospitals, are struggled uh, due to this unprecedented uh, financial loss. So that is, that is a real issue because the 
the demand for healthcare services uh, will not disappear. In contrast to very many other industries, uh, uh, demand for our services uh, is here to stay and is most likely going to be increased uh, for the reasons that we just mentioned. Deferment of care uh, has uh, uh, created a lot of pent-up demand and uh, I believe that this is going to be yet another challenge to, uh, to healthcare industry to meet uh, the needs of people who we care for. So what about the challenge to the business model? I mean, does this point to, a, point to some other solutions to, you know, uh, regarding who pays for hospitals? Should hospitals, I know that hospitals run on a very tight sort of capacity model so that, um, so that you're running it, I don't know what the figure is, 70, 80, 90% capacity so that every room and every bed can generate revenue. Um, in, but at a, in a capacity situation like that, you may not have the ability to manage a surge. Oh, absolutely. So uh, we have created a lot of uh, additional capacity in the meantime. But when it comes to uh, differences in a, in a business model, uh, and I'd rather use the term the ways that we provide care and care for patients, uh, healthcare uh, industry as a whole has uh, reacted in a way that it always does. There's a lot of innovation taking place at an accelerated pace. Uh, we are now delivering more and more care using digital means. Telehealth services uh, uh, have uh, exploded in its popularity and they have been embraced warmly by patients as well as providers. Uh, in Cleveland Clinic's example, uh, right before COVID pandemic, we were providing about 5,000 healthcare visits using telehealth and digital platform a month. Currently, that number is up to 200,000. So more than half of all of our outpatient visits are being provided using the digital platform. And I do believe that this is a significant improvement uh, and it will pro allow us uh, also in the future to provide uh, services at much more uh, acceptable and uh, uh, much more affordable way. Dr. Boutros, have you seen a, a similar increase in use of telemedicine? Yeah, we, we when <laughs> uh, Dr. Mahalovic and the Cleveland Clinic uh, was using uh, telehealth more than we were, we were about a, at a half a percent of our um, uh, outpatient visits were being delivered by uh, uh, telemedicine. We went up to 85% and we're now hovering around 50% of our uh, services being uh, provided through telephone and uh, uh, video. But, you know, Dan, you asked a question about, about the financial uh, hit to America's uh, hospitals and um, I think uh, uh, Ohio uh, Hospital Association um, has uh, calculated that we're losing $1.2 billion of uh, revenue a month uh, for the uh, Ohio hospitals. And Dr. Mahalovic talked about the, the millions of, uh, the over a million healthcare workers who lost their job. Well, you know, this pandemic has really uncovered uh, for us at Metro Health the fragile uh, financial health of many of our workers. We've seen it um, uh, manifest in different ways. That's why we have not um, furloughed anybody. We have kept everybody um, uh, uh, working uh, uh, and, um, um, you know, switched them to different areas. 
And um, you know, I'm, I'm really proud. Uh, yesterday, the Metro Health Foundation um, has uh, uh, given us a grant um, uh, to provide frontline workers uh, a 2.25% uh, raise uh, uh, this year uh, so that they can uh, continue to care for their families and, and juggle all the stresses at home. And, and as Dr. Mahalovic said, we're going to need every healthcare worker um, uh, to be available for uh, the future. I want to ask you both about uh, the Minority Health Task Force, Strike Force, rather, that uh, Governor DeWine convened, which was included, the report out was included as part of the press conference yesterday. The disproportionate impacts of COVID-19 on African Americans and other communities of color has you know, been a huge piece of the learnings of uh, the last three months. Um, but for people in healthcare, it wasn't much of a surprise. Um, can you both talk about what your institutions are doing to address the underlying causes, the systemic racism, structural racism, and implicit bias that is involved in creating the conditions under which African Americans find a disproportionate impact of events like COVID-19? Akram Boutros? Yeah, so if you remember, then last uh, June, I spoke about structural racism and how social determinants of health negatively impact racial and ethnic minorities. Um, We then put together the Institute for Hope, which has been highly active in in dealing with with the underlying social determinants of uh, health, Uh, everything um, from food insecurity uh, to um, housing to um, uh, uh, jobs and, and the like. Uh, for us, uh, one of the things we've done is we've looked at our own um, coronavirus testing and uh, COVID cases, and what we found is that testing on hospital admissions are reflective of the population uh, demographics, but ICU admissions de- really demonstrate the disparities. Uh, and that uh, is really due to the uh, health conditions and age of the patients who are uh, coming in. Uh, for us, um, this is another wake-up call. Uh, we, as going forward, we as a community and nation must commit to ourselves to addressing these disparities. And we've begun um, by working with the uh, Cuyahoga County Health Department by going to uh, different localities to test high-risk uh, populations. Uh, we were just uh, at the Word Church, I think, yesterday and uh, tested uh, a couple of hundred people who, uh, to make sure that they are um, um, getting the testing uh, necessary. Dr. Mahalovic? Yeah, I think that is uh, uh, certainly a phenomenon that comes as no surprise for us who are in a healthcare profession. Unfortunately, uh, both of our organizations, as well as a broader healthcare community here in Cleveland and Northeast Ohio, uh, have been actually working together Uh, This has been an unprecedented uh, joint effort to address uh, the disparities in a healthcare delivery during a pandemic. Here on uh, um, Cleveland Clinic side in collaboration with the university hospitals and our, so to say, next door neighbor, we opened the first drive-through testing site that was available for all for patients uh, that are being, uh, being treated by uh, our caregivers, and since then, 
since then, since we opened our first uh, site here, the Walker Center, we have opened uh, five or six additional sites, and there are additional sites that are going to be available for the testing, and they're, they're going to be dispersed through the communities all the way from, from Akron uh, up here to Cleveland. So the testing capacities there, uh, additional efforts uh, were focused on education as well as a, a provision of uh, uh, not only educational materials, but uh, the life's necessities. Uh, everything from sanitation materials to food, to direct outreach, and we have also ramped up our capacity to deliver care at home, knowing that very many of our patients are concerned and scared about coming to the hospitals, we have decided to come to their own home to deliver the care that they need. And uh, that has been warmly welcomed and I think it's been a very effective measure. Dr. Mohalovic, I wanna ask you um, about the what happened early in the crisis, early in this pandemic, there was a, a shortage of PPE, of personal protective equipment, a shortage of ventilators, um, and a lot of concerns that w as a nation, we did not have a public health system that was, and a supply system and a logistics system that was ready for such a crisis as we were experiencing. Um, the Cleveland Clinic delivers care uh, both in the United States and internationally, and as a, a world-renowned hospital, you're part of conversations that, that go far beyond our borders. And I, I just wanted to ask you to comment on the relative level of preparation that our nation had and what you think ought to be different in the future. Well, I think it is uh, uh, probably most important thing is to provide the context about this pandemic and uh, uh, state simply that there is no nation, to my knowledge, that was well prepared to meet a pandemic of this proportion. This is a phenomenon that we've never encountered in the past and certainly a phenomenon that, is, that has taught us and continues to teach us very many lessons. But speaking about, uh, first of all, us as a system, and then uh, briefly about the nationwide efforts, the Cleveland Clinic, as you, as you mentioned, we have a Cleveland Clinic presence in the United Arab Emirates, and that is how we learned about the dangers of pandemic and complexity of a care for patients with COVID-19 because they had experiences uh, in taking care of those patients before pandemic arrived to the United States. Uh, since we are in a daily contact with our colleagues in, the, in Abu Dhabi, we started immediately in January to prepare our system for COVID pandemic, but making sure that we have an appropriate resources, in particular personal protective equipment at our disposal. As the pandemic unraveled, I think what we have seen, and not only here in Ohio, but also uh, federally, nationally, uh, the collaborative efforts that I believe is something that we can be very proud of. Very many of us have participated, uh, all of us have participated here in Ohio in sharing our resources and knowledge, uh, as well as our analytical capability. Uh, we have collaborated very, very closely with, uh, with our governor and his office, and I believe that uh, the uh, success of that collaboration is evident. At the federal level, uh, it just if you take a look just at the ability to get the personal protective equipment in different parts of the country, uh, I think this has not been perfect, but in very many 
very many instances has been far, far better than in some other countries that were struck with the COVID pandemic. And then we also shared other resources like a virtual um, uh, ventilator bank where very many large providers have committed a part of their inventory for, uh, for, for centers that were hit hard, such as New York and Detroit. And lastly, I would just like to say, we have also seen very many caregivers and healthcare professionals stepping up to the task and going to the areas that needed their help most. Here, uh, we have very many people from Cleveland Clinic who volunteered and spent a month in New York Presbyterian uh, in New York City. We had a large contingency that is just about to come back from Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit when they spend a month taking care of COVID patients. And uh, this past Saturday, uh, 45 caregivers flew to the United Arab Emirates to help combat a pandemic in the UAE. So there is a lot of solidarity, a lot of effort. And uh, I think that was inspirational for those of us uh, who uh, had a chance to participate. I'm I'm inspirational, undoubtedly, <clears throat> excuse me, but I assume that I, at, at some point in the next year, there will be uh, a number of reports with filled with recommendations about what the federal government ought to do differently in preparation for a future pandemic. What kind of recommendations would you add to that, to that list? Well, there's, there's, there's several as are obvious. Uh, one is that we have to have a greater reliance on domestic production of uh, critical equipment for healthcare delivery. In this case, it is personal protective equipment. It is, uh, uh, we should never be in a position again when the safety of our citizens is critically dependent upon availability of a relatively simple, low cost items that we know how to produce, such as gowns, gloves, and face shields. So that production, a really good part of production, will have to be kept at home and we'll have to have a strategic reserve. And then the coordination of the efforts uh, in, um, in uh, detection as well as uh, uh, in, uh, in treatment has to be greater. And lastly, I would say that if we think about the measures that worldwide that we have implemented in combat the pandemic, uh, we essentially use the tools from 14th century to combat the biggest healthcare crisis in 21st century. The quarantine is seven centuries old method of combating infectious disease. We have yet to use on a larger scale the tools from 21st century, such as our uh, analytic capacity, capacity to produce, to accelerate new knowledge, to use digital technology. And I believe that there is going to be a lot of thought, a lot of thought is being put in about how to leverage those capacities and our ability to address new and yet unknown pandemics. Dr. Boutros, what recommendations would you have? Well, I would echo uh, um, Dr. Mahalovic's uh, uh, comments. Uh, I'd also say I would add to that um, many of the pharmaceuticals need to be have the domestic production uh, capacity uh, here. Uh, one of the things uh, uh, that will need to happen is um, the integration of our data across uh, the entire nation of all healthcare systems so we can um, um, share information quickly. This is, in, in my career, in my in, in healthcare, and uh, in, in my life, this is the largest and steepest learning curve. Our knowledge that have, we have gained from one another 
is, is remarkable. And uh, as Dr. Mahalovic and you and I were talking before the um, uh, program, we haven't been able, we've been just reading about this uh, uh, coronavirus and the implications, and we haven't been able to read anything else because of the uh, increase in knowledge and information uh, that we've had. So we have to have a better way of sharing that information than we do today um, and uh, and uh, have a little bit more coordination. I think um, the, we've developed some muscle memory here on how to do that, and that shouldn't uh, go to waste. But I would also say to you, I have never been more proud uh, of uh, the um, uh, the U.S. response to this, we were able to shift uh, uh, agilely and 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 so obstacles and and were able to create um, different solutions uh, for them, and we did not suffer what uh, other uh, uh, countries uh, uh, had to go through, like uh, Italy. So I'm really proud of our overall response of our citizens and our and our nation and our state and our um, healthcare providers. Is there something more you would have liked to have seen from the federal government? Uh, you know, Dan, th- there's always um, uh, something more that you can uh, you can do. I think they did the best with the information they uh, had. I certainly would not have done as well as the, as they would uh, would have. We had um, our visceral reaction to this uh, that we were so afraid that we're going to have to millions of people uh, are going to be um, uh, millions of Americans were going to die uh, that um, nothing, literally nothing could have uh, been done that would have been uh, sufficient to ease our fear. Only time uh, did we see that we are, uh, our uh, measures are impactful and we could get back to a, a sense of that we can manage this. But for a while there, I mean, it was it was sheer panic and 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 uh, throughout the uh, country, and and uh, they did the best they can. I I want to ask you though, how should then listeners understand the news out of Columbia University this week that had the federal government acted a week earlier, tens of thousands of lives would have been saved. I, I would say to you is that had they acted two weeks earlier, um, uh, more than that would would happen. Had they closed the borders before the first case, we would have n- never had to close. Uh, um, 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 you know, we'd never have to shelter in place. And that's you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. You're dealing with um, uh, live data and decisions. Uh, Dr. Mahalovic and I do. Uh, deal with that all the time with incomplete uh, information, have to make decisions on it. And and as long as you act responsibly and, and according to your guidelines that, that has helped care for people, you, you, you make the decision and, and the, make the best decision you can. And it's, it's never going to be ideal. Um, so, uh, so I would say to you is that some people think uh, the governor should have closed uh, the state earlier. Some people think the governor should have closed the state later, and they'll have arguments to both. Dr. Akin Boutros is president and CEO of the Metro Health System. With us here at our Friday Forum is also Dr. Tom Mahalovic, president and CEO of Cleveland Clinic. You can join our conversation when you text your question to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794 to text your question. You can also tweet the question 
at the City Club, and we'll work them in. You're joining the City Club Friday Forum from the studios of 90.3 WCPN IdeaStream in Cleveland. So uh, getting to questions now, uh, Dr. Mihaljevic, pediatricians are worried about dropping immunization rates among children, and there may be a later outbreak of vaccine-preventable diseases. Um, What are you hearing from parents worried about bringing children to the hospital or their own local clinic? Yeah, both parents, uh, all parents, are worried about uh, return to school. They're worrying about bringing children to the hospitals out of the fear of immunization. And uh, uh, my message, our message, I'm sure with Dr. Boutras will echo this, is that hospitals are safe. They're safe environments. We have to be very, very cognizant of the fact, we have to be aware that chronic conditions and the conditions in general that need treatment uh, need treatment even during the COVID pandemic. Immunizations should, for children should not be stopped. Uh, it is really important that uh, we do not lose sight of it. Uh, the consequences can be for dropped immunizations and uh, can be very, very severe. So I would encourage uh, parents to bring their children for regular immunization. Dr. Boutros? I, 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 again, I, the only thing I would add is that we are looking into ways uh, into immunizing um, uh, our patients at home. If, if what we want to do is reach out to everybody and if they are um, going to postpone it just because they're afraid of coming in and we can't convince them to do that, we have to look at different ways to provide the uh, vaccination to these children. The, the consequences for under-vaccinated um, uh, infants and youth is is uh, really substantial. Are we, are we going to see a rebirth of the house call? We you already are. I think uh, Dr. Mahavik alluded to it, and then and uh, Metro Health is doing the same thing. We're providing hospital at home and uh, uh, and uh, um, telehealth visits, which are, are like house calls uh, through t- uh, video uh, conferencing. But we're also sending um, uh, nurses and doctors into people's homes instead of them coming to the hospital. We're literally taking care of patients who would normally be hospitalized at Metro Health at home today. A couple of questions have come in about telehealth. Um, How do we keep telemedicine as accessible as it currently is due to relaxed regulations? And perhaps one of you can explain any regulations that were relaxed while also protecting both patient and provider privacy and security. And also a positive outcome of the greater use of telehealth opportunities for treatment and provider patient engagement. But how are hospitals ensuring that billing for mobile and online visits happen appropriately? That is a a rapidly moving uh topic uh, in healthcare, uh, and I would like to say that uh, the greater uh, uh, prevalence and the greater use of telemedicine has been enabled by one of the immediate actions of federal government when they have reacted on our recommendations uh, for, as a healthcare providers that local restrictions about the availability of telehealth services should be lifted so that we now as a healthcare providers can serve any patient in the in the United States without the need that we used to have in the past when our physicians had to be licensed in different states in order to be able to provide their services for patients who happen to reside in a different states. This is really, really important because very many of our patients who live outside of the state of Ohio 
uh, wanted to access uh, uh, our physicians and couldn't in the past, but now that is possible. The, uh, uh, there are obviously very many things that we need to do in the future in order to ensure that telemedicine continues to be a really important and, uh, and effective way and safe way to deliver care. Uh, one of that is obviously to protect the privacy, uh, and uh, uh, that is something that I believe we have already made uh, significant strides in through the collaboration with a number of uh, digital medicine platforms such as American Well. And uh, I believe that the reimbursement will continue to evolve. So far, the reimbursement has actually been very good, but I do believe that we as a, as a nation, the entire world has to uh, embrace digital technology in a healthcare delivery to the larger extent. And this is a journey that is uh, that has begun, but it's certainly there's a lot of work ahead of us. Dr. Boutros, the, the idea of, tel- of increased use of telemedicine assumes increased access to broadband internet, uh, which is currently the city of Cleveland is you know, ranked, I think, fourth worst in the nation of cities of this size. We spoke about this a few weeks ago with Eric Gordon, the CEO of the CMSD. How concerned are you uh, with regard to the growth of telemedicine in the absence of real access to digital infrastructure? Well, we we very much are. That's why with uh, the help of uh, several funders, including Dollar Bank, we're making available uh, both uh, digital uh, you know, broadband uh, uh, availability to a thousand homes in uh, our neighborhood, but also doing the training possible to do that. We're doing this to demonstrate that this is a better utilization of uh, funds to keep people healthy by providing them um, uh, this uh, digital connection. It's the first of its kind in the nation, and and we'll see if a thousand homes is enough to demonstrate that this is really excellent use of healthcare funds and be able to have um, um, both insurers and CMS cover that uh, cost in the future. With regard to uh, this, is switching to a public health question specific to the pandemic and how we approach it. Both your institutions have had to integrate well with existing public health infrastructure. And with respect to contact tracing in Cleveland and Cuyahoga County, who is going to lead that initiative? Will it be hospitals or public health? And how important a role is that going to play? And are we prepared to do that work? Well, contact tracing are always are always done. Uh, typically, unless there's an outbreak in your own organization, is always done by public health. Uh, we uh, work with the city of Cleveland and Cuyahoga County um, um, uh, boards of health uh, to look at these things. Terry Allen and and uh, Cleveland Clinic and Metro Health and University Hospital are constantly in contact every day. And I think we announced that we're doing all these additional testing that uh, public health uh, um, is, is very much involved in doing the tracing for positive cases after that. I would say to you, uh, it, is, it is something that people really, uh, I don't think, recognize how good our public health system is in Cuyahoga County. We have some of the most dedicated, knowledgeable, and capable individuals. They have been able to increase the ranks significantly, and they're continuing to do so. So I feel very confident in uh, uh, their leadership and capacity to uh, do the tracings. Dr. Mihaljevic, is there a silver lining to this pandemic at all? 
Oh, I do believe that there is a silver lining uh, to this pandemic. I think we have made uh, uh, a lot of strides in the way that we deliver healthcare, uh, in the way that we share knowledge and resources, uh, in the ways that we always wanted to do in the past, but couldn't. Uh, yet this pandemic has uh, served as a catalyst and accelerator for a lot of good in medicine as well. And I'll just highlight a few things that we've touched upon uh, that uh, reflected that change. I think first and foremost, the uh, adoption of digital technology uh, as an effective means of healthcare delivery has uh, skyrocketed. And that is a really, really good trend. Trend that we always wanted to see, had difficulties putting in place. The second part is when it comes to our own caregivers, the healthcare professionals, I do believe that the society as a whole has been reminded about the importance of the work that, uh, that healthcare professionals do, that caregivers do, uh, something that has been lost on many uh, over the past several decades. And that restoration of faith in a healthcare profession is something that uh, is very dear to our heart and something that I think this pandemic uh, has uh, uh, really accentuated in the best positive, in the best possible way. Uh, integration of our healthcare efforts among various providers, I, I certainly hope that it is here to stay. I think the value of integrated healthcare delivery systems uh, is, uh, has demonstrated uh, uh, its effectiveness in a, in a treatment of this pandemic. And lastly, our efforts in the community and understanding a much deeper societal understanding that we will not be able to have a healthy society until we have our healthy communities, that every community has to be healthy in order for our society to be healthy. The, uh, the importance of public health care efforts and, and community care efforts have, uh, uh, has never been clearer to a general public than it is today. Another audience question, Dr. Mihalovic, can you talk about the state of research on vaccines and how and what planning is being done now to ensure that any vaccine that is discovered and manufactured can be distributed en masse without chaos? The uh, vaccine research in the past used to be very, very slow and used to be very slow because uh, uh, we used to use different methodology uh, to deliver the vaccines. Uh, development of potential vaccines on coronavirus uh, has been uh, nothing short than uh, astounding. International collaboration is progressing at a fast pace and currently we have several dozen different uh, vaccines that are under investigation. Some of them are already in uh, in clinical in clinical use and they're in, in clinical trials. Probably the one that is uh, uh, gathered the most attention is the vaccine that is coming from the company, which is called Moderna. And uh, this is a very innovative way to deliver vaccines. Uh, we believe that uh, through new technologies that the production of vaccines, which also historically used to be a rate limited step, is going to be accelerated. With all of that taken into account, if and when we get a vaccine, uh, the distribution is certainly going to need to follow the indications for medical need, and the distribution will have to uh, first address the most vulnerable populations 
who are the highest risk of, of uh, uh, COVID infections and those uh, elderly with chronic conditions as well as the uh, healthcare workers and healthcare providers. Uh, having said all of this, it is important to remind all of us that uh, uh, having a vaccine is by no means a certainty. We do not know when the vaccine, the effective vaccine is going to come. Uh, we do not know if, if it's going to come because coronaviruses have been around for a really, really long time. You know, common cold uh, that each of us has experienced several times in life is caused by a coronavirus, just not this type of coronavirus. Yet we do not have a vaccine for common cold. So this is not an easy task. Uh, we have to be patient, but uh, uh, we are also very encouraged by the pace of discovery that we've been seeing so far. Dr. Boutros, can you shed some more light on the timeline that I think Dr. Fauci, Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, said yesterday that he believes it could be here by December or January? So I, I think that the Fauci and, and Dr. Mahavik are talking about, are speaking about the acceleration of development of vaccine. And that that's 21st century tools that we're using today to be able to develop a vaccine. And because this is such a worldwide phenomena, everybody's working with each other and collabor uh, collaborating. And finally, I would say to you this, is that vaccine production no one company is going to be able to um, produce enough vaccine for the entire world. So what I think you will see is that the first company that finds it is going to be able to lease out its technology to other companies to produce it. So that's why we will have mass production um, uh, of the vaccine. Uh, so you will see collaborations, as you saw with hospital systems. You will see that in also pharmaceuticals, which typically is not collaborative at all. And then while we're on a, a topic of collaboration, I just, I wanna really do uh, th personally thank Dr. Mahalvik and Tom Zenti and their teams for working uh, together with all of us during this uh, time in, in the most exceptional way of caring about the community first and, and making sure we're all doing the right thing. They have. This experience has been nothing but stellar. Dr. Boutros, another question for you about uh, health services provided at the county jail. These congregate care situations and uh, places where it's almost impossible to do social distancing are causing a lot of concern. We've seen a spike in cases as well at the Marion Correctional Institution in uh, here in Ohio. Can you talk a little bit about the uh, about care being provided to vulnerable inmates? Well, I honestly could not be more proud than the care that was provided uh, to at the Cuyahoga County Jail. Our first uh, our first uh, model showed that uh, up to um, uh, about um, fourteen hundred people would be infected. So we went to the judges and we worked with the administration and the courts and um, uh, the prosecutor's office and the defense attorneys, and we were able to reduce the population to permit us to put people in single cells to create social distancing and the like. So then the number came down uh, as we did that. Uh, there were um, less than a thousand people in the, in the jail and uh, the um, 
the model showed that we could get up to uh, 600 to 800. We started doing some very innovative things of uh, isolating people as they're coming in and doing observations. And today, the number of, of uh, uh, coronavirus positive uh, inmates is uh, about 170 uh, over the past uh, two and a half months. And uh, we have had only one visit to the hospital um, no major illnesses and no deaths. So I'm very proud of what we've done. We've uh, put the information together and have shared it with the, with the Ohio uh, Department of Corrections uh, to implement similar uh, uh, protocols. But jails are not the only congregate living facilities in which there are risks. As you saw, nursing homes account for 50% of the deaths. Um, that is why we are working uh, to make sure that people are tested in the nursing homes and, and homeless shelters and other locations, also the staff, to make sure we um, uh, keep it under control. Another question for you, Dr. Mahalovic, regarding healthcare data integration. Can you speak to how the Cleveland Clinic and uh, Akram Boutros, you on Metro Health, uh, are both working to share data around social determinants of health and the coordination of referrals to social service agencies. Dr. Mahalovic? Yeah, so we have been sharing our data, uh, in particular during this COVID pandemic, I think uh, better than we've ever had in the past. Uh, all large healthcare providers, UH, Metro, Cleveland Clinic here in Northeast Ohio, and numerous others in the state, we have all been sharing data about the COVID pandemic on a daily basis. And that has really been one of the most important determinants of our success so far, and probably being one of the best prepared uh, states in the country uh, to meet this new challenge. I do believe that that uh, data sharing and integration of data is just going to get better over time as uh, our understanding as well as our digital sophistication in uh, data collection, sharing analysis, and data protection, which is a really, really important piece of it, uh, gets more and more sophisticated. Here's another question from the audience, from an audience member. You seem reluctant, and this is really for both of you, but uh, Dr. Boutros, we'll start with you. You seem reluctant to criticize the federal response to the pandemic. Isn't it true that the U.S. has not fared well in this crisis? Statistics show that we have one-third of the world's cases, that we didn't have adequate testing or PPE when it was needed, and that President Trump denied COVID was anything to worry about. When I compare our response to South Korea and Germany, we don't look so good. Please respond. I, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm not trying not to criticize anybody. And well, my point is, is to focus on what we were able to do and how we um, met the challenges. Um, there are, I'm sure, going to be plenty of analyses of what we could have done uh, better, um, and those will take place and we'll have uh, lessons uh, learned. I can tell you is that we assess uh, our response at Metro Health and at the county and collectively every day, and we learn from mistakes that we've made and uh, uh, continue to improve. I am very, very proud of how the uh, healthcare system systems, how Ohio, Ohioans in general, um, um, helped uh, reduce the curve. Actually, as I said before, crush. Uh, the curve and how uh, the 
uh, our uh, governor had worked with us and listened to us and uh, uh, worked to uh, make sure everyone is safe and um, uh, increased testing capacity. I know the clinic increased their testing capacity significantly. Um, last I heard is uh, maybe the ability to do 9,000 tests uh, a day. We're going to get up to 2,000 tests a day. So we're all... I'm focusing on how quickly we're responding to this and doing better. Uh, do I wish that uh, we didn't have a single case in in the U.S.? Absolutely, life would be much simpler than it, than it is today, and more uh, and and more people would be alive today. Dr. Mahalovic, the listener refers to South Korea and Germany. Are there specific lessons we can draw from their experience? Well, I would say that uh, when we take a look, uh, first of all, you know, this pandemic is far from over. I don't think that we can uh, really responsibly tally up the effectiveness of uh, individual countries in a combating uh, pandemic. But what we have learned from uh, a Korean model is uh, what we have learned as we kind of look at the pandemic as a whole, that there is a lot of regional variability in the way that this pandemic has been addressed. Uh, and uh, this really speaks about the uh, also to a certain degree about the cultural norms, behavioral norms, as well as an ability for governments and regulators to influence public health. Let's just speak about Korea just for a moment. Social distancing, wearing masks in public has been a norm, a social norm in, in, in South Korea for a really, really long time. Uh, the actual relative amount of testing that was done over there was relatively high, but it was not exorbitantly high. And they have been very, uh, very good in being able to combat a pandemic without really shutting their entire economy down. They have closed the schools, but the jobs stayed open. Uh, Germany had a completely different trajectory and the trajectory that is, uh, uh, that is also reflective of their cultural norms. And an interesting thing about Germany is that they have more beds per capita hospital beds per capita than almost any other country in the world, for which they used to be criticized in the past by being over, they, they being, having too many hospital beds. In these particular circumstances, that turned out to be, to be a, uh, an advantage. And lastly, I would say that it's really important to keep a perspective about a pandemic. Nobody has really been prepared to address it. Uh, as Dr. Boudreaux said, um, folks have done, uh, I think, the best they could with the information that they had in hand. Uh, from our interactions with, uh, with government officials, both in the state as well in the federal level, we have found them to be responsive to our, uh, uh, to, to our suggestions, and they have implemented the measures that we suggested swiftly. Uh, I will say that uh, our collaboration in the state of Ohio has had a, just an, has been unprecedentedly productive at a federal level. In the two visits and two conversations with federal government, uh, let's say, for example, the lifting of uh, the FDA uh, restrictions for testing so that the testing can be done in individual hospitals is something that we brought forward and uh, the loosening of the FDA restrictions was lifted literally on the following week. And that has allowed individual hospitals to develop testing capacity and actually help more people in need. 
and then the another good example is uh, that we've asked to lift uh, for the uh, restrictions on the adoption of telemedicine to be lifted. And uh, I have to say that the response was positive and immediate. And that has allowed us to serve many more patients uh, across our entire country using telemedicine platform. Excellent. Dr. Tom Mahalovic is president and CEO of Cleveland Clinic. And Dr. Akram Boutros, president and CEO of Metro Health System. I thank you both for your time today and for joining us for the City Club Friday Forum. Uh, we are going to leave it there, and I'm shocked that neither doctor mentioned the importance of hand washing and wearing a mask and keeping your distance. So having done that, we're going to close it out. I want to thank our sponsors, Medical Mutual and the Metro Health System, who sponsor our Healthcare Innovation Series. Our community partner is the Better Health Partnership. City Club Virtual Forums are sponsored by Cleveland Foundation, the George Gund Foundation, KeyBank, Nordson, and the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District, and PNC, with additional support from the Char and Chuck Fowler Family Foundation. There are many more members, sponsors, and donors you can find at cityclub.org. Thank you. We're going to leave it there. I'm Dan Malthrop. Stay strong, stay healthy, stay close in your hearts. If you can't, stay close in person. Our forum is now adjourned. Have a great Memorial Day weekend. Thank you. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.